The context is first century Palestine, not 21st century London. So bear with me, I may come to some parts that that may seem appropriate to you. And the second thing is that, how shall I put this? The scriptures I'm taking aren't in um, chronological order. But bear with me, that's for a purpose. This is neither a biography or history of Mary. We just want to hear her speak. And I'm going to give you the scriptures as I've received them. Happy with that? Let's begin then. These are very familiar scriptures. Let's go to Luke 1. You know these scriptures well. So... It should, what I've got to say shouldn't be too complicated. And you may find that as we go through, as we read and study, God may say something to you afresh, which is good, or he re may remind you of something which he's already said. So whatever God's got to say, let's receive it today. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's make a start. Luke 1, we're going to start at verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. That's sort of interesting, isn't it? Probably Mary is going about her daily duties, maybe washing cleaning, cooking, and all of a sudden this angel interrupts her life. He's got a message from God. And that's, that's a good lesson for us, I think. In our daily lives, to in and fro in, working, whatever responsibilities we have, are we open to God breaking into our lives and speaking to us? Or would we say, not now, I'm busy. But Mary wasn't too busy. She received what the angel had to say. But Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. That's good news, isn't it? Mary's received some good news. She's highly favoured. And we're so familiar with these verses, sometimes we may think that Mary was chosen at random. God had a list of ten girls. Or he went to the Nazareth phone book opened a page and put his finger on Mary's family. But no, Mary was picked particularly because God had a particular thing that he wanted her to do. And for each of us, God has something particular for each of us to do. That's good. That's good news, isn't it? God has something for each of us to do, and it's particular. So we need to be able to receive that and hear what he's got to say to us. So Mary says, how will this be? 
Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. Obviously, Mary had received what the angel said, but she's got a question. It's a reasonable question. She's not married yet. She hasn't got a husband. So, how's this going to happen? That's reasonable, isn't it? She's not questioning God, but she wants to know, how, how's this going to happen? So the angel reassures her. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. And look at Mary's response. I think it's fantastic. When you think of her situation, for her to say these words, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. <laughs> then the angel left her. How would you have responded? If God comes to you with a particular assignment, God has something for you to do. Do you embrace it? Or do you say, let me think about it? I'm not too sure about that. But Mary, her heart, was so surrendered to God that she could say immediately, let it be to me according to your word. She didn't question God. She didn't say, how's this going to work out? What's going to happen to me? And if you think about Mary's situation, as I said earlier, she's engaged to be married. There should, could, be, could have been terrible consequences of her embracing this assignment from God. What would Joseph say? Would he understand? Would he call the marriage off? And indeed, he was just about to when God reassured him. But how would Joseph take it? Would he want to marry her? And if he didn't, what would happen to her, her, her child? What about her own parents? Would they be accepted of this plan? Or would they reject her? It would be a great disgrace to the family for Mary to be found in such a situation. What about Joseph's parents? How would they feel? Would they accept her? Or would they want Joseph to reject her? It was a great decision Mary made, wasn't it? She had a lot to lose. But yet, because God had a purpose for her life, she embraced it. That's a great lesson for us, isn't it? Whatever the situation, whatever the upsides, whatever the downsides, whatever the consequences, whatever it may cost us, if God has something for us, let's embrace it like Mary did. Let's say, let it be to me according to your word. Mary's got a lot to teach us, hasn't she? So let's receive what she's got to say. Let's go on to our second scenario. We're going to go to John 2. What else can Mary teach us? As I said, the scriptures don't come in order of Mary's life, but this is how I receive them, so this is how I'm going to give them. Another familiar passage. Jesus changes water to wine. What can we learn from this? Let's start at the beginning. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. 
When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. I guess that's the equivalent to the modern, Mum, why me? You can just imagine Jesus. It's got nothing to do with me, really. But Jesus replied, My time has not yet come. Are there any mothers of sons here? Any mothers of sons? Yeah. Any sons here? Quite a few sons. So I guess you'll be familiar with this scenario. You're out somewhere, family occasion, social occasion. You're with your friends, doing whatever you do with your friends, chatting, enjoying yourself, and mum comes. She's got something for you to do. As a son, what do you do? Got really nothing to do with, it, with you. What would you do? Joel, what would you do? <laughs> you don't really know. I would probably do whatever she tells me. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Not worth the trouble. That's right. That's right. That's right. Because as I was, I, was, I, was, I was thinking, I was thinking there are probably some things that sons will do for their mum which they wouldn't necessarily do for their wife. I hope I'm not getting into trouble for saying that. But let me explain what I mean. Sometimes Gloria may say to me, Randolph, there's something I think you need to do, something you have to consider. And I may say to her, well, let me think about that. Or let's sit down and discuss it. And I'll think about it. We'll discuss it. We, I say, stress we, will come to the conclusion that I don't have to do it. <laughs> it's okay. That's happened sometimes. But with my mum, she's not with us any longer, but I don't ever remember with my mum, me ever saying to mum, if she's asked me something, let me think about it, let's discuss it, and me not doing it. And I think sometimes sons will do things for their mum, which they may not necessarily do for their wife. Be that as it way. I've been not going any further, I might get into more trouble. So let's get back to the scriptures. <laughs> okay. I've opened a hornet's nest, I think. The cat's out of the bag. Okay. My time has not yet come. And I find that interesting that Jesus says that. Because if we go later on into the scriptures, verse 11, it says, This is the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. And yet Jesus says, My time has not yet come. It's not time for him to reveal his glory and reveal his identity. So why did he do what Mary asked him? It's interesting, isn't it? Does Jesus change his whole plan? to accommodate his mum? Would God change his plan to accommodate us? It's interesting, isn't it? But that's a whole new set of scriptures. That's a whole new subject there, so we won't go there. But it's an interesting thought, isn't it? Jesus says, my time has not yet come. It's not time for me to reveal who I am. And yet, because Mary asked him, he complied with her wishes. I think that's fantastic. It shows me something of the humanity of Jesus. Yes, he's God. But yet he's a son, and he loves his mum. So maybe, even though he wouldn't plan to do this, 
He does it because of his mum. And maybe that's a lesson there for all of our sons and daughters, how we should regard our mums. Maybe. Let's go back to the scripture. And this is the important part of what Mary says. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Five words, but five very important words. If you take nothing away but this today, take this away. Do whatever he tells you. It's not the only message of Scripture, but it's one of the most important lessons we can gain from Scripture. There are vast parts of the Bible which you could reduce to these five words. Do whatever he tells you. That's very important, isn't it? So Mary's got important things to say, hasn't she? She's not an apostle, an evangelist, a prophet, a teacher, a pastor, but she's got important things to tell us. So let's receive what Mary's got to say. Do whatever he tells you. So we, we keep going. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they fill them to the brim. Now it's important, I think, that it gives us the quantity of water. I think it's for a particular purpose. It says the jars, six jars, approximately 20 to 30 gallons. So if we approximate that, that's about 150 gallons of water. Or, I worked it out, 570 litres. It's quite a bit of water. Don't know how long it took to fill them, how close the water source was, how many servants there were. But it must have took, taken quite a while to fill these water jars. And I think it's important that John tells us. Jesus says, fill the water jars. So what do the servants do? They half fill the jars. Is that right? No. 90%. 99%. What do they do? They fill the jars to the brim. And I think that's important. I think details in Scripture are very important. Jesus said, fill the jars. They fill the jars to the brim. Not 50%, not 90%, not 99%. When God tells us to do something, let's give it 100%. Not 50%, not 90%, not 99%. Let's do it with everything that we've got. Let's give it our best shot. Anything else really is acceptable. I'm the sort of person, if I do something, I like to give it my best shot. It's just the way I, I am. I think if something's worth doing, do it well. And how much more with God? If God asks us to do something, let's do it well. Let's give it 100%. And I also think it's important that it gives the quantity of water because I believe, I can't prove it from Scripture, but I believe the quantity of wine that was produced was equivalent to the quantity of water. I can't prove it, but I think, I think that's so, that Jesus changed exactly the quantity of water into the same quantity of wine. Because I don't believe this miracle is like the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus took the boys' lunch, 
and he multiplied it. That's a miracle of multiplication. I believe this miracle is a miracle of transformation. Jesus takes the water and he transforms it into wine. And he can do the same for us. If we do whatever he tells us to, he can transform what we do into something marvellous. He can change our water into wine. So whatever he tells you to do, do it. Give it 100%. And let's see what he can do with your water. He can change your water into wine. I, I believe these figures and details are very important. That's the sort of person I, I, I am. I like details. So I believe that John tells us this for a purpose. And if you think about it, 570 litres of wine. That's a lot of wine, isn't it? Because the people had already drunk. So this was extra. So when Jesus does something, he's generous, isn't he? I don't know how long the wine lasted, but if you can think of 570 litre bottles, that would have lasted quite a bit. So, let's listen to Mary when she says, do whatever he tells you. That's the second thing Mary tells us. Let's go on to the third item. We go back to Luke 1. That's why I said to you, it's not in chronological order, but this is the way I received it, so this is the way you're going to get it. <laughs> okay, Luke 1. We go back to Mary. Mary's visit to her cousin or relative Elizabeth. Luke 1, 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you would bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. That's fantastic, isn't it? Again, this is just an ordinary, everyday situation. Elizabeth is six months pregnant. Mary goes to visit. Maybe she's taking food, clothing for the baby. Maybe she's gone to help to scrub and clean the house. Is that what you had to do? Did you have to scrub and clean the house before baby came? Whatever. It's an ordinary situation. Mary's visiting her relative. And all of a sudden, praise and worship breaks out in the midst of the ordinariness of life. The babe in Elizabeth's womb leaps at the presence of Mary. Mary is to be the mother of our Lord. And somehow, it seems the baby knew. The baby leapt for joy. Then Elizabeth joins in the praise and worship. It's spontaneous. It's not a worship service. They're not in church. They're not in the synagogue. Not in the temple. But because of what God is going to do in the life of Mary, Elizabeth begins to praise God. And not only that, Mary joins in. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, 
All generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary has a heart of worship, and that's another thing that we can take from her. She's not quite sure what the future will hold. It may be difficult. Things may get difficult for her. But she spontaneously praises God because she has a heart of worship. And as I was reading this, my mind took me to the Samaritan woman. Again, another familiar scripture. Let's go to John 4, I think it is. Mary's worship reminded me of this Samaritan woman. I won't go through all the scriptures, because you probably know them fairly well. Jesus is on his way to Galilee from Judea. And I like the way the AV puts it. It says, he must needs go through Samaria. Very old-fashioned. But somehow it seemed Jesus had a need to go through Samaria. That's unusual, because if you're a Jew, and you're travelling from Judea to Galilee, you don't go through Samaria. You go round Samaria. Jews, they don't want to be seen in Samaria. They look down on the Samaritans. But Jesus, he had an appointment in Samaria. He needed to go through Samaria. So, Jesus goes through to Samaria and he comes to the well, Jacob's well at Sychar. He meets a woman there and they engage in conversation and he puts a finger on certain aspects of her lifestyle. He critiques her lifestyle, but not with the purpose of condemning her, but for the purpose of liberating her. He's got something different to offer her, a new life, characterised by the living water. So, <coughs> Jesus offers her something new, something fresh, something different. Well, the Samaritan woman, I'm not too sure if she understands everything that Jesus is telling her. But she's got a question. Now, and I'm not quite sure where the question came from, because it's about worship. Is it that she's on the defensive? She can't defend her lifestyle. So maybe she wants to defend the Samaritan people and their aspect of worship. Possibly. But maybe it's a genuine question. Jesus has revealed something to her and she's got a question in her heart. Maybe she wants this sorted out before she can embrace what Jesus is telling her. So she asks him a question. This is, let's have a look. Verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. There's a bone of contention between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jews say that Jerusalem is the place to worship, and rightly so. The temple in Jerusalem is the centre of Jewish worship. But the Samaritans, well, they're not very welcome in Jerusalem. They're second-class citizens in Jerusalem. So they've set up their own place of worship in Samaria, on Mount Gerizim. So, the Samaritan woman has a question. Jesus is a prophet. What will he say? After all, a prophet speaks on behalf of God. What's God's point of view? I think the woman wants to hear something from God. She may not understand this bit about the living water and all this, but she wants to hear something from God. 
So she wants Jesus to pronounce as a prophet. Will he take the Jewish position? Will he defend the Jews and say, yes, you must worship in Jerusalem? Or will he be sympathetic to the Samaritans? Will he take their part and say, yes, it's fine, you can worship in Samaria? It's a reasonable question, isn't it? Obviously, she's got something in her heart that she needs settled. But in Jesus' answer, he changes the focus of the question completely. He doesn't really address her question. He's got something else to say, something more important, and this is what Jesus says. He says, Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. In effect, what Jesus is saying, God the Father isn't so concerned about where you worship. That's not his priority. What he's more concerned in is how you worship. That you worship in spirit and in truth. As we heard earlier, our temples, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. God lives within us. So we don't have to go there or here to worship. That's not so important. What's important is our attitude, how we worship. And Jesus says the Father is looking for true worshippers. That's those who worship in spirit and in truth. Those who worship according to God's spirit and according to God's truth. In other words, by the Holy Spirit and according to his word. Those are the sort of worshippers that God is looking for. And it's interesting that the scripture says God is seeking. Now normally in the Bible, it's us who do the seeking. We seek after God. We must find God. But this is interesting. God is seeking us. Why does God need us? Why would he need to seek after us? To worship him. What does God get from our worship? Is God vain? Is he looking to massage his ego? Does God feel good when we worship him? Do we worship God for his benefit? No. We worship God for our benefit. And God seeks true worshippers because true worshippers are those who understand who God is. They have some sort of revelation of God. So they worship God. God is looking for people who seek after him. Who seek his presence. Who want to find out more about him. Who find God exciting them and filling their hearts. Those are the sort of people that God is looking for. He's looking for true worshippers. Because in a sense, worship is the appropriate response to the revelation of God. If God is revealed to me, the first thing I must do is worship. It's, it's a response, isn't it? If I come into the presence of God, if I see something of God, I worship. That's why the scripture says that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. When Jesus is announced in heaven 
there's going to come a point where, I don't know, maybe an angel will announce, the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that, every knee will bow, whether in heaven, on earth, or under the earth. Because worship is the correct response to the revelation of God. That's why in heaven, it's full of worship. Because in heaven, God's glory is revealed in its fullness. And as God reveals his glory, we worship. Whether angelic beings, whether redeemed people, heaven is a place of worship because we have a revelation of God. So let's take that from Mary. Mary was a true worshipper who worshipped God in spirit and in truth. So, Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new? This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would calm the storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy will walk where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you know you kiss the face of God. Did you know the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again, the lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lamb. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect Lamb? The sleeping child you're holding is the great, the great I am. Mary, 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 did you know? So what did Mary know? Well, we don't really know what really Mary knew. But we know three things about Mary. First of all, she surrendered her will to the will of God. When the angel came with the assignment, Mary received it, she embraced it, and she said, let it be to me according to your word. What else do we know about Mary? Mary knew the importance of obedience to the word of God. To the extent that Mary said, whatever he tells you to do, do it. What else do we know about Mary? Mary was a true worshipper who worshipped God in spirit and in truth. Mary could say, my soul rejoices in God my Saviour and my spirit worships the Lord. Mary, Mary, did you know? Let's embrace what Mary's got to convey to us. She's got plenty to say to us. And as we reflect on what Mary says, Let's remember the words of 
the Apostle Peter, if I can close with these words. If you do these things, if you can surrender your will to the will of God, if you can say, let it be to me according to your word, if you can understand the importance of obedience, if you can say, whatever he tells me to do, I will do it. If you can become a true worshipper, if you can worship God in spirit and in truth, if you can rejoice in God, if your spirit can be glad in him, if you can do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.